Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. I'd love for you to keep your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as we're going to be looking uh, at a very important passage uh, in our series called The Cruciformed Life, How We're Shaped by the Cross and the Work That Jesus Did for Us. I'd like to begin by saying something that's fairly obvious to all of us. We live in a culture that is irrational about sex, completely irrational about it. Michael mentioned last week, it's where uh, he was talking to us about a situation that happened in this church that Paul's writing to in the town of Corinth, where a man was having a sexual relationship with his um, stepmom, and they were seen as progressive for not dealing with it, rather than realizing that not dealing with it was destructive. And Michael asked us in a roundabout way last week a question that's lingered with me from his teaching, and that is, do I love the church enough and the principles of the church to not protect us, but to defend us against those things that destroy what makes the church right and good and powerful? Do, do, we, do we fight enough to keep the blessing of God on everybody, or do we protect our own selves by these comfortable things we will and won't do? As Paul was addressing this kind of issue in the church in chapter six and seven, Paul, Paul begins to talk to them about some things that were going on in the church that needed to be addressed. And I'm gonna highlight the, the primary one that I see in chapter six. In a world that believes you're progressive when you walk away from the word of God, I want us to understand that that's destructive. The words that Paul bring to us today are controversial for sure, and I fully expect will bring some condemnation from the world on us. Pleasure has been separated from responsibility in our culture. If it pleases you and makes you feel good, then that's why you're here. And you deserve that. And anybody who tells you you can't have that, that person is just wrong. We have legitimized the bending of every part of our lives around serving ourselves. We've given ourselves permission to do whatever it takes to make us happy. We have disposable marriages, increasing of abortion every year, Premarital sex and extramarital sex have been accepted by increasing percentages of people and unfortunately even in the church. Pornography is the most financially profitable business in the entire world. Sex trafficking is a $58 billion industry worldwide and before we think we're superior, the United States ranks third in the entire world for sex trafficking cases in our midst. I don't know about you, but I feel like I am bombarded by sex on all sides all the time, and I'm tired of it. It creeps into my life, my mind, my heart. It'll creep into people's singleness and into their marriages. Sexual temptation is all around us, and unfortunately, in too many ways, it's been invited by us. Irresponsible sexual experiences are so prevalent, they seem normal, and the person who doesn't have them seems like the weirdo. These words of Paul are explosive today, because we believe and I don't know that I disagree. We believe that people have the right to choose what's best for them. And we believe that people have the right to find satisfaction and people have the right to choose that which serves them best. But the question today is not do we have the right. The question of the morning is are we choosing what's right for us and other people? Or are we simply doing what's best for me? In the life formed by the cross, we have been taught to live is to die to ourselves so that we can show the glory of God in our renovation. 
that the glory of God is not shown because God's an egotist, but when we actually trust God and live at the wisdom of God, God does a renovation in our souls that changes us and the world will see the change by the goodness of God and desire his goodness rather than misunderstand him as a tyrant. So what Paul does here is it gives us an entirely gospel-centered way to look at sexuality. Okay, so you can relax now. My goal is not to continue to rail against culture, but if we don't set the framework properly, we will just assume that what the world is offering us is normal for everybody, and that should be okay. I want you to know that there is a better way to live. I want you to know that it's different than the way of the world, and I also want you to know that God's way is not a punishment. It's how we, define, how we find our delight in him and trusting him in these things. Paul offers one very clear central exhortation. It's, it's the goal of, of the day today. If you wanna know what I want, what I hope happens, and what I've been praying about, then you'll hear these words. Flee sexual immorality. Flee. Don't reason with it. Don't rationalize it. And, don't or, and, and do everything you can to defend yourself from the temptations. I'm not talking about living in a cave, isolated from culture. We are not to be of this world, but we will live in this world. I didn't like the word flee, because I misunderstood it from the English side of things, the English language, because I think fleeing is a cowardly thing to do. It's running away, you know, with your fingers in your ears going, la, 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 so you can't hear anything. That's not actually what it means. It means choose, discipline, defend. Don't stand around in the midst of temptation and entertain it. Don't let it speak. Don't let it offer. Don't let it lie. Flee sexual immorality. And what is sexual immorality? This is where Paul uses a Greek word that has an overarching meaning. It's the word porneia. It's a term that means, and listen carefully, any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Paul says, anything that does not fit into God's intention for his creation and the use and the practices of our sexuality, we should get away from and not entertain and not argue with and not rationalize. Any use of sexuality outside of marriage between a man and a woman. Now, needless to say, I'm gonna get some emails. I've already gotten some from Thursday night. And don't feel sorry for me. The truth of the matter is I'm not surprised at all that the world hears this and instantly feels that it's outdated, hateful, and hurtful. And I wanna be honest with you. I wanna show you that it is not hurtful or hateful. I actually want you to understand that coming from God, it is helpful to find a greater delight than this world wants to offer us. You might remember all the way back when we started the series a few weeks ago, that the first two chapters dealt with this issue of the wisdom of God appears to be foolishness in the eyes of man but it actually is the wisdom that brings life and salvation. So each and every time we open the word of God, when it strikes controversy in our culture and the world will say that I'm hateful for saying what I'm saying today, I am simply telling you I don't believe God is hateful. I believe God is good and God is kind and God's solutions fit better than man's. And so when criticism comes, it's just part of what we do. And yet, I will respond to it as graciously and lovingly as possible, but I will not apologize for the word of God because he has spoken it and I trust him more than I trust myself. What I'm gonna be using off and on in this series is a structure that I think is important so you understand how the cruciform, the cross-shaped life is affecting us. 
And I'll begin by saying this. We're gonna begin with the character of God, reminding ourselves who God is and why he's saying what he's saying. Then we're gonna talk about the sinfulness of man, which we all know too well. And I won't spend a whole lot of time on that. It's pretty obvious. And then we're gonna talk, because of the character of God and the sinfulness of man, the necessity or the sufficiency of Jesus. What did the cross do to answer the gap between the character of God and our sinfulness? And after the sufficiency of Jesus, I'm gonna challenge each one of us to reach into the necessity of faith. Why we have to trust God or choose not to. But it will require a decision from every single one of us. So let's begin with the character of God as defined by Paul in this particular text. I'll say, simply start by saying this, God has created our bodies for his ultimate glory. Verse 13 gives us this truth. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. God has created your bodies. Not, there's this, this misappropriation of theology that says that God is only concerned about your soul and the body is just a rental car that's getting you from here to there. And that's not true. The body is a part of God's plan and it's a part of his glory. And the way we live out our lives, the discipline we show, the way we use these physical incarnations and we share them with other people and we bless other people through our work and through our effort and through our kindness and our compassion and all the things that are epitomized in our living existence, those are all a part of the way we show the world the goodness of God. It's not separate. It's like easier to say good intentions don't always go anywhere. But good intentions lived out are actually to God's glory. And this is part of the reason God created our bodies. And we live in a culture that screams, please your body, it is your God. And the scriptures tell us to please God and he will bless our lives far beyond anything we could ever produce on our own. The second thing Paul shows me is that God has designed our bodies for our eternal good. The body's not a punishment, it's not a broken thing. God has created our bodies and our bodies are better than any other created being out there. And he's created it for a good reason. Verse 13, he continues, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God loves your physical existence and your physical experiences. God has given us great blessings. Today we focus on our sexuality, that is a blessing. I think of food, can I have an amen? Something good to drink, exercise, play, rest. All of those things that encompass our body, God created all of those as a blessing. He enjoys our enjoyment of living lives that he has given us to live. God is not anti-body. And some philosophies and some religions turn that the body is a tomb and you have to fight against it all the time. Yes, sin has affected every part of our existence, but please understand, God has designed our bodies for eternal good. Why do I say that? Verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do not allow for a moment your soul to be excluded from your body as a part of God's plan. You're not gonna just become the spirit that floats in the clouds. If you read the scripture, there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth and we are gonna live on that new earth as a part of the new heaven and we are going to walk and we are going to run and we are going to work and we are going to rest and we are going to worship. Some of you, I know, hold on, some of you might even dance, go figure. And the good thing is you'll actually be good at it this time. Because it says in the scriptures, we dance before the Lord and we dance with him. And all of these blessings God has in store for us. Christianity is not separate of the body. It is a part that we will have resurrected bodies. 
But part of that I wanna focus on this morning is that part of the goodness of our bodies is sexual intimacy as God has designed it. And so for those of you sitting right out there going, oh my goodness, I'm so uncomfortable. Imagine me right now, church. So if you're gonna feel sorry for anybody in the room, it should be me. But let's look. Daniel Heimbach gave several characteristics of sexual intimacy and sexuality that God brings blessing to. This is why he is jealous for it. The first is, sex is relational intimacy, not just momentary pleasure. And in our world, we have misconstrued this. We have turned sex into just a physical act between two consenting people that doesn't harm anything or anybody if they so do it. Yet I want you to know that the way God created it, it is for relational intimacy, not just momentary pleasure. In fact, the Bible says that when there is sexual intimacy, those two become one. And trust me, when you divide one, I took enough math, if you divide one, you're not having a whole anything when it's over. And God does something powerful with this physical connection that is more than just sex. Sex is also covenantal. It is a willingness to giving yourself to another person, but it's not a meaningless connection. It has purpose in your soul, and it changes us. Participated and fulfilled in a marriage, it is a beautiful covenant relationship that actually shows the relationship we have with God, the care and love and intimacy between our Father and ourselves. Sex is selfless. In 1 Corinthians chapter seven, Paul gives clear direction that a husband and wife should not withhold sex from one another. They should offer it to one another out of love and concern. Now I wanna be clear about this. That doesn't mean that I don't want any of us dudes going home today and saying, well you heard him, stop. It's giving yourself and receiving from them. It is covenantal and yes, it takes some work and some effort to prove that you love and that you care. But God has a paradox that he has built into sexual intimacy that the more you give to please another person, the more enjoyment both people receive. When sexual intimacy becomes that thing that's only for one person, nobody gets anything lasting. And then this is the most obvious thing I'll say all morning, sex is complex. It's not just a physical act. It involves involves rather the mind, the body, and the soul. You see, in the mind, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, if you look on another person and you objectify them and you turn them to an object for your satisfaction, you have already committed adultery in your mind. It does engage the mind. It also engages the soul. 1 Corinthians 6, 15, having sex with the prostitute, Paul says, is bringing Jesus into that bed because your soul is engaged and your soul as a believer belongs to Jesus. And of course, we know how it involves the body. So we see that God has created it for a purpose, and that purpose is good, and that purpose is a blessing, it's not a punishment. But I wanna talk not only just about what Paul says about sexual immorality, but I want us to understand at the end of the day why he is saying it. Because of the sinfulness of man. In Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 27, and I hope you're following along in the notes, uh, and if not, you can, you can email me and I'll give you this text. But I really would encourage each and every one of us to read Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 27 in its completeness sometime this week, maybe even once or twice, and process the why behind the what. Because what Paul does in this passage is he talks about the progression, or I refer to it as the spiraling down into sin. There is a progression and it covers all kinds of sins. But Paul focuses it particularly in Romans 
when he's talking about how our sexual immorality leads us away from God. And he shows four steps that reoccur in this downward spiral away from God and towards sin. The first begins with the foolish heart. Using the image of light and darkness, which is common in scripture to talk about the way of God and the way of the world. He says, their foolish hearts became darkened. They, they took their focus off of the character of God and what God, their creator, had offered them and was asking of them and turns it into something that becomes more about them. Their hearts became darkened. And then their minds became foolish. And he says in that same chapter, in those same verses, their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, but they became fools. Remember when God tells us there is a way of wisdom and the world says, no, that's a way of foolishness. It goes all the way back to what Paul has said. The cross doesn't make sense to those living for themselves. And then when their minds become foolish, their desires become foolish. And we know that sin and temptation, when given to our hearts and minds to process rather than fleeing it, it produces desires. It produces passions. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desire of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. See, God is trying to tell us here, it's not just sex. It's not just a physical response between two consensual adults. And then it becomes foolish actions. So their, their hearts, their minds, and their desires begin to focus. And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And in Romans chapter one, verses 26 through 28, or actually through verse 32, you're gonna see that Paul covers all of the sexual sins you can imagine. And, and I'm not gonna go into detail, not because I'm scared of it, but I want you to understand, I'm not gonna pick one of the different kinds of areas of sexual immorality and make that bigger than the others. They're all a mess. Fornication, adultery, anything done outside of marriage, it doesn't include a man and a woman, it, according to God's wisdom, is not right and it is not good for us. Remember the character of God and the sinfulness of man coming together causes something powerful. You see, sin disorders our hearts to the point where God is not supreme and God's words are not trustworthy and God's character is not believed in. And then that disorders our thoughts which then disorders our desires, and then we're free to do whatever makes me feel good no matter what the cost is. But the truth is, when I look at this room, the size of this room, the people that are home watching online, the people that were here Thursday night and first service this morning, when I look at the diversity of the people in this room, the truth is, we all have different challenges when it comes to sexual immorality. There are things in this room that tempt some people that would never tempt another person. But what tempts that other person is so different than what tempts so many others in the room. You see, instead of spending all this time trying to identify what is your sin, what's the big one, what's the most important one, I want you to understand, we're all going to struggle with sexual immorality because a world that just comes after us day after day after day with sexual temptations, and they promise us this, if you get your sex life right, you will be the most satisfied you'll ever be in your life, and I'm here to tell you that's a lie. It's an absolute lie from Satan. The reality is you don't get to choose what tempts you. You do get to choose how you respond. So where does that leave us? It leaves us with this understanding. We don't need a savior that was with us at one moment in time who saved us from our sin when we were nine years old at church camp. We need a savior that walks with us every day, that speaks words of wisdom to our hearts, that guides us on the path that is right and just. And 
communicates to us with love and compassion, but also with clear direction that he knows what we need and he is guiding us that truth and he will empower us to walk in that. Church, are you with me? We don't need a Jesus that historically took care of our sin. We need a Jesus that's with us in every moment of temptation. And if you're gonna have that, you're gonna have to trust in the character of God over and above the temptations of the world and the promises of the world. Jesus came to be that power. It's the the sufficiency of Christ. Jesus has purchased our bodies with his blood. Jesus didn't do a nice thing for us. Jesus bought us. He claims us. He died in our place. We owe him everything. And in a discussion like this, it ultimately will come down to whether each one of us feels in the depth of our heart that we owe Jesus everything or something. Because if you only feel you owe Jesus something, he won't get this part of you. Why? Because it gives you instant gratification. It makes you feel good right now. But if you believe that you owe Jesus everything, not as punishment, but as a gift of gratitude, then when Jesus asks us to do hard things, we're willing to do hard things. We're willing to go against that nature. Verse 19 and 20, you are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Jesus has also united our bodies with his body. When he purchased us, his spirit entered in us and now he lives with us. And Paul makes it clear in verses 15 through 17, and you can read those again on your own. In verses 15 through 17, Paul makes it absolutely clear that your body and what you do with your body is not separate of your soul. It is not a separate thing. It's not just a physical act. You see, this is more than not being allowed to have pleasure. This is the goodness of our God through the work of Jesus Christ, protecting our mind, our body, and our soul. So we hear God saying that I gave you this good gift and I want you to enjoy this good gift, but you have to enjoy it in the way that it works, not in the way you want. And that In our brokenness, our hearts become darkened, our minds, our desires, and our actions then spiral away from God if we don't trust him. So Jesus came in all sufficiency to give us the opportunity to make a decision based on who he is and what he's done. And this is what we call the necessity of faith. And so how are we to respond to this? And I don't want to lighten it at all. It's a hard choice to make in a world that offers us so many alternatives. Well, we turn from ourself and we trust in him. This is what fleeing from sexual immorality means. Turn from yourself and trust in him, even when yourself wants what temptation is offering. Paul actually does something brilliant here. You might remember that this is an exchanging of letters between Paul and the people of the church. And it wasn't always antagonistic, although there were moments when Paul disagreed and you read 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul really knows how to disagree. He's unashamed to say, you're wrong and here's why. But in the engagement of their defense of why sexual immorality was considered progressive in their church, here's what he writes in verse 12 and following. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything. Paul says, but I will not be mastered by anything. Then he says, you say food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So what's just taking place here? Well, let me translate it. Their response is, it's just sex. 
It's just two consenting adults having sex together. It's not hurting anybody. And the body's gonna die anyway, and we're gonna go be with God in heaven, so it really doesn't matter what I do with this body because it's just a rental. It's just a rental car that's gonna get me from point A to point B. And Paul says, no, no, you don't understand. These things become addictive. These things become slavery rather than freedom. These things that you're saying don't matter actually matter more than you even understand. In Christ, we are free from bodily sin. We can be freed by the power of Christ for the sin that harms us, for the sin that controls us, for the sin that devastates us. Now, this is personal to me, and here's why. Because as a pastor who counsels people, who spends time with people who have gone through this, I can tell you by looking in this room, the world tells you that it's just sex, but I'm telling you, I'm the one who sits in a room talking to people who have been through this. It's not just sex. It is devastating to marriages. It is devastating to children. It's devastating to generations. There is nobody who practices sexual sin who comes out unscathed. Innocent people get hurt. Lives are changed and altered. This is not a game. It is not just sex. The damage is proven. And unless we enter in to a covenant relationship with Jesus and we trust his goodness, there can be no healing. But here's good news. If you've experienced it, if you've been the recipient of it, if you've been the one who's practiced it, I got good news for all of us. God can heal it. He can fix it. He can change it. He can bring strength when we can't. But we have to trust in the character of God and the sufficiency of Jesus. And we have to abandon the sinfulness of man. 1 Corinthians 6.18, every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. People will say this, well, sin is sin, and it doesn't really matter. Mm, yeah, kind of, maybe not. Here's what I mean by this. Sin is sin. Any disregard of God is disregard of God, and that is sin. Anything that replaces God is idolatry, and that is sin. But please, don't underestimate for a moment, and I grew up saying this, and I repent of it, but I used to say all the time, well, it's all equal, it doesn't really matter if you lie or if you commit adultery, and now I've grown up and realized in this world, it does matter. And Paul even says it matters. Sexual sin has a greater impact than many other sins have. Now, I'm not simply saying that sexual sin is the thing that will keep you out of heaven, and lying and slandering and just being a bad human being overall will get you in anyway. No, 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 we're not talking about what qualifies you because nothing qualifies you. Jesus Christ is the only reason you and I will ever hope of salvation. But please understand the consequences is why Paul says flee. Sin is deceptive. Sexual sin is more deceptive. Temporary pleasure, sure. Deep pain in the end, every time. Sexual sin harms deeply. It harms innocent people. It harms generations. Verses nine and 10. Or don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. So in a world that will say a message like this is harmful, Mark, you're being hateful. You're not considering people. Truth is, I, if I didn't care, I would have dodged this text in a heartbeat. But listen to the words. Do not be deceived. And if we owe each other anything, we owe each other honesty to simply not allow. Michael asked us last week, do you love people enough to have uncomfortable conversations? Let's not let one another be deceived. The world is saying this is no big deal and God says this is damaging souls and lives. This is serious. There are some clear sexual prohibitions. Let me give you two. No sex outside of marriage. 
regardless of what our culture says, outside of marriage between a man and a woman, this is God-given boundary defining the limits of sex. People will argue, I'm not standing up here saying I'm right. I'm telling you, do you trust the character of God and the word of God? Because he has spoken clearly, even though our world wants to alter this. And they will say we're hateful for believing it. I want people to understand that God has a better way than man's ways. And no sexual worship. So you're sitting here going, I don't worship sex. Well, be careful. Let me me use some improper English to make my point. Sex is good. God is gooder. Are you with me? The, the, The sexual intimacy that God allows us within his plan is beautiful and it's intimate, it's covenantal, it's binding, it's healing, it's powerful, it's life-giving. Sex outside of God's plan is the exact opposite at every level. He said, do not be deceived, you're destroying yourselves. And throughout the scripture, Deuteronomy 23, Exodus 32, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I can go on and on. The people of God have fallen into the vortex of worshiping sex. They have taken the gift and made the gift greater than the giver of the gift and it's brought devastation. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter two, verse one, the same words that Paul would use. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage wars against your soul. The character of God. He is trying to speak into our lives that he cares, he loves, he honors, he protects, and he guides. The sinfulness of man says, no, God prohibits. He restricts. He takes away my joy. Jesus came to say, no, I will suffer. I will suffer so much to prove to you how much you matter to me. And he would go to the cross and he would buy us all by his sin. And he would say, let me guide you by the Holy Spirit's power. Let me lead you into paths of purity. Let me allow you to enjoy sexual intimacy the way it works, not the way you've worked it. And it calls for a necessity of faith. Do you trust in the goodness of God, the plans of God, the power of God? In Revelation chapter 22, verses 14 and 15, it said, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. The scripture is calling us, not condemning us. The scripture is offering us mercy rather than punishment. It's simply saying, understand that to live the way the world is calling may seem to be wiser than the ways of God, and the ways of God may seem to be foolish, but the ways of God bring life and salvation to light. I'm gonna give you three exhortations, then I'll be done. Because this room is diverse, different experiences. There are people in this room, I imagine, Without any evidence, I just imagine in a size room like that, there are some people in this room who are involved in relationships right now they should not be involved in, and they know it. I believe there are some people who have been wounded by such actions of their partner or ex-spouse or whatever the case might be, and you're sitting there hurting. And there are people in here who are like, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. I've got something for everybody. First thing is repent and run away from all sexual activity outside of marriage. And you can do that. By the power of God, you can do that. You're gonna need his power though. This can't be something you simply hide and say, I'm gonna keep all my life a secret. Now you need to be honest about it and repent of it before the Lord and end today without hesitation. Those secret places you go in the dark, 
those secret devices you use, those secret people you have, repent today and ask God because it's his will for the power to overcome all of that. Or you can rejoice today in sexual activity that is pleasing to God, that God has designed for you and is a gift. And rejoice in the giver of the gift as well as the gift. And the last thing is receive today the forgiveness and freedom found in Jesus. You could come up and tell me the worst possible story today of something you're involved in, and I will give you this one guarantee. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. If you're sincerely pursuing him, there is forgiveness and love and mercy at the cross. Our lives are not only shaped by the calling of the cross, our lives are shaped by the gift of the cross and the forgiveness and healing that is available today. Satan will tell you it's too late. Satan will tell you you've gone too far. Jesus will walk on the cross and the argument is over. It's not too far, it's not too late. It's available right now. We serve a good God, amen? Run to him and run away from sexual immorality that is destroying souls. Let's pray. Father, we receive your mercy. We receive your kindness. We receive your love. Father, help your mercy to speak to our fear. Help your mercy to speak to our shame. Help your mercy to speak to all the unanswered questions we're gonna have. Father, this is complicated. Sometimes it's so much more complicated than we imagine. The debates in society about who can and who should and all we're simply saying is we wanna trust you. We're not better, there's not a person in this room better than anybody else. We all struggle with temptations of various kinds and for various reasons. And without your strength, Jesus without the cross, Holy Spirit without your power, we're hopeless. So we run to you, Father, and to flee the, sin, the sexual temptations of the world, the only solution is to run to you, to rejoice into you and repent. And you'll receive us as the Father received the Son who ran away. And we're grateful for that. I just pray that your spirit would cover this room and those listening today in such a way that trusting you will be the natural response. This today we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.